0: Hello and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name
1: is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. The uh, pure Elixir protobuf implementation, called protobuf, pretty simply, <laughs> in the Elixir ecosystem. Uh, we've talked about earlier that the value that companies can bring to the Elixir ecosystem by contributing to open source code and, and projects well this is this is one of those open source code and projects and contributions there was a big update to that library and this contribution was made by the uh, the company community uh, namely Andrea Leopardi and Eric Meadows Johnson and and some other folks that work at community.com and i bring that up because well one I, I liked I like using that library. Um, Andrea is now a maintainer of the project and some highlights to may, maybe why you would use this library. There's a Proto C plugin that generates Elixir code, just like what the other official, you know, protobuf libraries typically do. The extensive use of the Elixir macros in there to do all that kind of stuff. And so it, it's really easy to write your your like structures, your 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 in Elixir terms, maybe we'll call that structs. It's really easy to write your structs in like a, a language agnostic way. Those are called protobufs. And on top of that, gRPC services on top of those messages for relaying that info back and forth in a very efficient way. So it's an easy way to, to let like common structures be communicated across like microservices, for example. And so the good news is, is, that Elixir does have pretty good support. And here's the news item: it got better. So here's some of the the updates that happened to that library. There's there's a JSON encoding and decoding for uh, the the certain kind of uh, fields uh, that are in the the structures there. There's a way that you can just kind of say it's anything and and just let it be a map. <laughs> and so now now that's uh, better supported in, in the library. There's transformer modules to transform pre or post code generation. So if you got to do something weird in there, you can do that. There's support for protobuf extensions, which is really good. Generally, it's harder, better, faster, stronger. So definitely worth checking out if you're looking for protobuf support in Elixir. And thanks to the team and the company for making this, taking the existing library out there
2: and and making it better. Next up, a new Erlang website was launched, a big feature that Elixir developers might notice is that there's full text documentation search. And I noticed as I was kind of looking around, you can actually like on Mac hit command K or on Windows and Linux hit control K, just anywhere and pop up a little search bar powered by Agolia, which is just like super fast text searching service. So you can find things wicked fast now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Users of Tailwind
1: CSS will probably recognize that search. (laughs) That's what they, that's what they use over there too. And next
0: up Promx was updated to version 1.5. So Promx is a library by Alex Kudmos. One of the nice features is that it makes it easy to export metrics to Grafana and to get visualizations. And so a couple nice new features in this new release is the ecto grafana dashboard panels for total time metrics was added and a phoenix grafana dashboard panels for socket connections was added. And Kate, I think you've had experience doing this too, but it almost feels like it's the kind of thing you get for free when you just say, hey, take this and export to some Grafana dashboards.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool because it's like, it even exports it for you, right? So it's more, it's just like install PromX and it's like, wow, all of a sudden my Grafana dashboards exist and there's many of them and they're like well put together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also in the news, VoiceTech uh, Mock shared a helpful PSA. So we're going to relay that here too. For those on Mac OS... OpenSSL 3 is out. If you have experience with OpenSSL upgrades, you know that probably spells trouble for a lot of a lot of installations of languages. And Erlang is, you know, in that list. Erlang doesn't recognize it yet. So you, you'll need to start specifying OpenSSL explicitly. And so he has a tip on how to do that we're not going to bother with the config because who's going to like hear that and instantly write it, you know, or type it into their console. So uh, just, just go check out the link um, in case you encounter trouble with uh, installing Erlang uh, on, on your computers. I would bet that there's probably Linux distributions out there that are about to have this problem, or maybe they do have this problem. So it's probably not macOS specific, but Mac OS is definitely a bigger base of, of users. So when it's troublesome there, it's likely there's going to be some tips and, Tricks out there. So, anyway, Voitech Mock, thanks for the PSA. And uh, for all of your listeners out there, check it out and uh, let us know if, uh, if you see any other issues.
2: Also, from Voitech is an update to his Rec HTTP client library, the new version 0.2.0. Included is a Livebook notebook showing how to run the features with that new little Run in Livebook button. So, that's pretty fun to see out there in the wild. One of the nice features of REC is the API design is intended to make it easy to use in Livebook Notebooks. It's built on top of Finch, so it's fast and it works well. One of the things I like about REC, it's powerful. It has two kind of APIs there.
1: A high-level one, so you can make it real easy. Just go get or go post, you know, this stuff. And a low-level one that gives you access to those, those things like Mint, for example. A low-level one where you can, you know, stream in like the, the data as it's coming in. It's quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, HTTP libraries. So good job, VoidTech.
0: And that's it for the news. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Paul Copplestone. Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Hey,
3: guys. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm really happy that you could join us because you work at the company Supabase. We've mentioned Supabase before in our Elixir news segment. Specifically, that got a lot of attention, just Supabase did recently, because it got a lot of funding, a lot of big general tech press excitement. But then we also dug in a little bit more and realized you guys are using Elixir for some really cool stuff. And we're like, okay, we've got to talk with Paul, we've got to find out what's going on. So I'm excited for that. But before we jump into all of that, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Like, where do you live? And what kind of work are you doing?
3: Originally, I'm from New Zealand, I grew up there. And then about seven years ago, I moved to Southeast Asia. So actually, currently, I'm in Singapore. I'm dialing in from Singapore, late at night here. But um yeah, I originally moved to KL and I've done a few startups here. This is my third startup, and actually originally we were supposed to move to the US, but then COVID struck. So now we're here in the US. But you know, my backstory is largely around tech. I've been a techie for 15 years, started on Lamp Stack and did some consulting, did some contracting, worked in finance for a while, worked in Accenture for a while before finally getting into startups and startups where I've been for the past seven or eight years just building companies and largely just building out marketplaces and and different tools. So my previous ones weren't very tech heavy, they were more um, operational. And then this company is sort of obviously very tech heavy. It's a building a Firebase alternative. So it's um, all dev tools and uh, uh, the team is all engineers. So uh, it's kind of now now my, my dream job, so to speak. But on your question, what do I do? I, uh, yeah. So largely I built Superbase um, now as the CEO and one of the co-founders. But um, yeah, day to day, it's a little bit of engineering, not as much as I actually would hope. <laughs> and uh, a little bit of company building and a lot of community building. So you mentioned
0: that you started with Lampstack and, you know, through this whole process, building a lot of these different tools. I'm just curious as to when you came to Elixir and kind of discovered that and maybe what other languages brought you on that path.
3: Yeah, actually, I should revise that earlier comment. My first sort of Cirrus project if anyone knows this, I was using cold fusion. Oh yeah. Uh, an Adobe product. <laughs> and actually the funny thing is, you know, cold fusion and flash at the time was great for one thing, real time charts and animations. So actually one of the first things I did was build sort of this live graphing tool for farmers to see their. Data, um, farmers, the least tech savvy people in the world. So it was completely over engineered. But, uh, you know, I guess that's just to point out that I worked in databases and real time systems for, I guess, going back to my earliest roots. So Elixir itself, after my second startup, I took a bit of a gap between startups and I was, um, no, after my first startup. So it would have been around 2017, maybe 2018. I was playing around with. In particular, Phoenix, the Phoenix framework, and I just fell in love with Elixir itself and, and Phoenix, just the sort of batteries included, everything out of the box. Loved the idea of Beam, especially, I think is great. Um, actor-based, everything about it, I really liked. But... I didn't use it too much. Like when I started my next project, I used it a little bit um, to build an API, but it was just a very small segment. And then sort of I took a break from Elixir until finally building the system that would actually become the real-time engine on top of Postgres. And that's what sort of is the genesis of Superbase actually was the system built with the Phoenix framework.
0: I think that's a good time to start talking about what Supabase is. You mentioned it a little bit there that you say it's a Firebase alternative, an open source Firebase alternative. One of the things I'll mention is there was a TechCrunch news article in September 2021 where it talked about how you guys raised $30 million for its open source Insta backend. And one of the things I think is just fascinating is, you know, you don't hear about open source companies getting large amounts of funding. That's not the normal route. So I'd love to hear more about that. But maybe we need to first talk about what Superbase is doing and what kind of problem it's solving.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I didn't come up with the tagline Insta backend, by the way. That was the uh, (laughs) TechCrunch (laughs) reporters. So we label ourselves as an open source Firebase alternative. For those who don't know what Firebase is, Firebase is this amazing suite of tools that allow you to build your product, whatever you're going to build, on top of this suite of tools very quickly. So you don't need to worry about the database. um, You don't need to worry about auth. You don't need to worry about where to store your files. You don't need to worry about analytics. It just actually has 18 different tools. So it's quite a lot of things. And to their credit, the developer experience is very good. Uh, It's a very good product. It's actually started in Y Combinator, I think in 2012 and was acquired by Google uh, a few years later. And so now, um, yeah, it's part of the Google suite. Now, what we do is we try to use Firebase as inspiration, uh, we think is a great tool, but it has some flaws that we hope to overcome. One of them is scalability. So we sort of base everything around Postgres and we base all of our systems around try to base it around existing open source tools. If the open source tool doesn't exist, then we'll build it ourselves as we had to do with the real-time engine. But, you know, a few of the other things that we can talk about at some point are very well-established tools, very permissively licensed. And the idea is that if you don't like what we're offering, you can host it yourself, you can swap out different components, you can do whatever you want. So um, really, you can think of us as the easiest way to use Postgres and everything that we do within Superbase tries to be centered around the existing functionality of Postgres. For example, we make row-level security, very easy to use. We have instant APIs that um, you don't need to code the APIs. You just build the tables or the functions within Postgres and they get exposed over a REST API. Authentication ties in very nicely with the authorization. We have a storage mechanism for storing large files, but all of the sort of buckets and and images are mapped into your Postgres database. So you can also apply row level security on all of your files and systems. So, you know, we're just building up this suite of tools around Postgres to make it very easy to
1: use. All right. You keep on saying row level security. What is that? What does that mean? I know I want security, and I know I I want a lot of rows. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
3: So Postgres has this really neat thing that you can, let's say you've got a million rows inside your database, and you want to do a select all on this one million rows, but you might have a user requesting them. So let's say user ID one, and it just so happens that you've got user ID underscore one as one of the columns, if you're familiar with databases. And they only have access to 100 of those rows. Now, in a classic sense, you might put inside, let's say your Elixir app, you would do select everything where user ID equals one. But with Postgres row level security, you write these rules directly into the database itself. It's a a Postgres authorization system. And so you just do select all and it is connected to the database as user ID one. And when they do select all, it will only Fetch back the rows which they have access to.
1: What? I didn't know that this existed. That that's built in. You said that's built in the Postgres. Yeah, correct. This probably ties in with like multi-tenancy a little bit, right? Is that is that a, a like a way of of enforcing that kind of uh, authorization as well as prefixing, you know, these different tenants differently so they can only access their stuff? Is that that's an alternative?
3: Definitely. The nice thing about row level security is they're just SQL statements. So you can literally write whatever you want. You could make up whatever rule that you can write in SQL. And um it can be multi tenant rules. You can even use things like TTLs, like time to life. So you might want to fetch all the blog posts for the last thirty days only. That can be a row level security policy where you know people are using it for very bizarre things inside Superbase. So
1: um Wow. It's very powerful. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a hardball question here. Here it comes. <laughs> Superbase.io/docs. I see tutorials. I see Angular, Flutter, Next, React, whatever Redwood JS is, Svelte, and Vue three. Where is Elixir, my friend? Where is Elixir?
3: <laughs> well, the the nice thing about Elixir is that, uh well, in particular, Phoenix framework is, is very well catered for in terms of you want to spin up a product, right? It kind of does. What Superbase does, (laughs) we just do it for those, all the Jamstack crowd. (laughs) Now, we also host databases. So if you wanted to connect, let's say, your Phoenix application just to a raw Postgres database, we give you a full Postgres database. So it'd be a very small tutorial. It'd be like, (laughs) oh, well, go find your Postgres connection string and put that into your config inside your Phoenix application.
1: Okay, I accept that answer. (laughs) Okay, great.
0: (laughs) That is an interesting question, though, because I remember when Firebase first came out, this is before Google acquired them even, it just seemed like the sweet spot that it was fitting was, I'm a JavaScript person, I want to write maybe a React.js mobile front-end, like a React Native, or I want to do a mobile app, but I don't know back-end at all. And it seemed like that was the way I saw most people using it. Is that still true today or are there other use cases we should be considering?
3: Yeah, definitely. And the trend that they really rode well was the mobile trend. If you think back 2012, sort of mobile was becoming the hot thing. Mongo came out. Databases, by the way, are very hard companies to build. Usually it's very hard to capture, you know, an audience because you have to capture them at the start. It's very rare that you change a database. So usually it's off the back of a trend. Firebase wrote the mobile trend. Mongo um, sort of started its own trend with NoSQL and did very well there. And then you know our trend is Jamstack, and there are not many databases that work well with Jamstack. For those who don't know what Jamstack is, it's sort of just JavaScript. You deploy it as static websites, but you have no middleware, you have no backend, you've got no servers. So you deploy it's very cheap to deploy um, because it's basically just S3 buckets. Then there's no good backend services. There are a few, for example, Fauna has been around for a while and Firebase is probably the best, I would have to say, um, in this space. And then this is where we come in as well. We try to cater for this audience, people who don't want to use Firebase or are worried about the scalability. That's where we come in. We try to solve some of the problems that Firebase have and not in a one-to-one way, but uh, in our own special way.
0: You'd mentioned that Superbase is open source, which I, we have to talk about more. I think people are going to ask the question well, how do you make money? You know, like, what is worth investing into? Like, you know, that you're going to get venture capital firms to say, yeah, this is a good idea. There's a, there's a business plan here, right? So there's got to be some way that you guys are able to make this a sustainable operation. So, where do you position that?
3: Not to get too off the top of Elixir, but um, I will say that it's becoming more and more common for open source tools to get vc funding and typically the model that you'll use now is it used to be this sort of support model which obviously isn't that sustainable so the model usually these days is that you'll have your own platform so for superbase we've got a hosted platform you can sign up you click a button you get a postgres database in 30 seconds or a minute or something like that so we've had that since day one and then you've got an option you can either self-host all of the superbase stack or you can come to us and we'll host it for you. We've got a free tier, we've got a paid tier. You can pay for usage as you scale up and that's the idea. Eventually in the long run, we hope to attract as many developers as possible because our hosted offering is just so easy to use and uh, you don't want to manage the infrastructure yourself. So you just come to us and we'll have some special things like CDNs and everything that you don't want to build into your open source uh, your own self-hosted offering.
0: And that totally makes sense, because I know, like, especially for the the Jamstack people who already are trying to avoid having to build a back (laughs) end, that they don't want to have to host it themselves. And I just know, like, for myself, like, hosting... Uh, You know, I've I've hosted blogs before where it's not just static pages where there's something to actually do. And, you know, you have to like stay on top of it. You have to like manage it and like keep it up to date for security patches and everything. It's like, oh, my gosh, like this is not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be an operations person.
1: So speaking of, Paul, is that something that you guys do then on your hosted platform? You also manage patches and upgrades to Postgres?
3: Yeah, correct. So at the moment, we don't upgrade major versions, but we do patches and everything. Over the long term, what we'll have is essentially this. It's a little bit harder to manage databases. This is the thing. Um, so over time, we'll become basically your database administrator. Anything that you want will handle it and probably in a better way. For example, like you said, row-level security is something that maybe even database administrators don't get to play with because it's not so well accepted in the application development world, but because we make it so easy and you know maybe we make vacuum or we make Postgres connection pooling very easy then it should be even attractive to people who are maybe even database administrators just because we make the functionality of Postgres easy to use and then eventually we'll make you know administration very easy to use as well.
1: Yeah. I feel like that would be really cool. So, so I, I, it's been a a while since we've talked about this. So I want to swing back around to, all right, good. We've established that Superbase is a good Postgres hosting, you know, company. There's a lot of good tech there. You're also open source, a lot of good points here, a lot of gold stars, right? Um, But, but the, the, the big hook that I heard about Superbase about was real time. Tell me about real time. What is, what is this neat hook that you have here?
3: This is really the origin of Superbase. What happened was I was using Firebase inside my previous startup, and what I was using it for was a chat system inside one of my uh, one of our applications. And I ran into this bizarre bug. You can you know it's a document store, and you can sort of query or update. I can't remember what it is. One document every second, so it will sort of have this one second delay as you're polling it. With a chat system, of course, you know sometimes multiple people are sending messages so i could either re-engineer everything in the firebase database to be you know multiple documents or i could move it over to our postgres database and i did it in this very naive way i moved everything in, into the postgres database i sort of replicated it across in case you don't know postgres also has json storage JSONB storage so it was very easy to have a document store inside postgres Then I used this sort of trigger notify functionality that exists within Postgres. You can send these external events just with triggers, and you'd send a notify, and you can sort of notify out to the world. Then over time, what I discovered is that there is this hard limitation even within Postgres that a notify can only be 8,000 bytes dug right into the depths of the Postgres documentation. So, you know, I thought about the time that I'd spent working with Phoenix. Before I had started the startup and I really loved channels. And so what I ended up doing was I found uh, an open source library. Um, a shout out to this person. I can't remember his name, but the tool was called Kano file. And he was using um, yeah, one of the Elixir libraries to listen to Postgres's replication stream. So Postgres, you can replicate from database to database. And it could listen to it. So what I did was I attached that library to the Postgres database. I listened to all the changes coming from a replication stream from a Phoenix server. And then I blast those changes out over a Phoenix channel. And that's how I sort of replaced our Firebase real time database with our Postgres by implementing this Phoenix application. It wasn't really that much work at the start. It was maybe a couple of a month or two of engineering. And then I open sourced it. At the end of um, 2019, I put it on Hacker News. It got 50 stars or something like that on the show Hacker News. And I thought, <laughs> oh, you know, that's a, a lot more stars than I've ever had for any other open source tool. <laughs> I should build a business around it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's really the genesis of it. And, you know, it's evolved a lot from from that first development. But um, that's how it started.
1: So that's the hook there. The Okay, so you're, you're listening to replication logs in an Elixir app. Are you looking for like specific events and that's the trigger that you want? And so then you go do a read and then blast off the full objects. Is that how you're getting around the 8,000 byte limitation?
3: Yeah, so inside the Postgres replication log, as you can imagine, if you're replicating from database to database, you don't want to lose anything. So it's very good. Like even if you your Elixir server crashed, would be strange, but uh, let's say it did, then Postgres stores up the transactions until you reattach and you say, give me everything that since the last time I read from you. And then it sends it as a binary stream. You can parse it then into sort of a JSON object. We'd parse it and we'd send it over WebSockets. The main thing that was missing was row level security. Once again, that's very hard to do from a single stream. So now what we're about to release into Superbase is this row level security. What we do is we track the users who are attached to a um, Phoenix server, we're once again, well, still using channels. When someone attaches, we keep the user ID. And then we say to the Postgres database, we've written a Postgres extension. We say, give us all the changes since the last time we read it, but also run row-level security across every single change. And from there, we populate the changes with the relevant user IDs. And then when we blast out over um, the channels, we detect which channel each user is on and we only send the relevant changes.
0: Is that using anything like Broadway to parse and partition or anything like that?
3: No. So the actual row-level security implementation has been done within a Postgres extension. We did that for performance reasons. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so it's all written in C. I bet that was fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So thanks for, for going over like the technical part of that. That makes a lot of sense, and that is like a really cool feature of Supabase, and that's a differentiator. So since you're a differentiator and you're open source, you cater to a lot of Jamstack folks, and I'm sure you have, you know, you've picked up on the news about like Elasticsearch and other big players, and Google purchased, you know, Firebase once upon a time ago. I feel old now because I remember before it was Googled. <laughs> but uh, what is Supabase? You know, uh, do you have do you have fears of for or or is that what you want? Like, what's what's long term here? I I I can't imagine that with you guys having these good technical differentiators that and being open source that someone's not going to just come and do a self, you know, like an AWS base or something like that, you know, AWS, uh, <laughs> AWS super base or, or GC yeah. base. Yes,
0: yeah, so like the idea of like Redis was recently in, you know, has been in the news about, I get what you're talking about now with the Elasticsearch where AWS is providing a, they're managing it And they're charging for that service. And so none of the money was going back to the open source projects. So I guess the question is, are you concerned about, or do you see that as a possibility for Superbase?
3: No, not really. And yeah, of course, as well, people often ask about re-licensing and, you know, we're OSI compliant licensing now. So it's all very open source. It's not really an issue. I mean, one of our core philosophies and really what we think is the dream of open source is that people should collaborate on tools. So it's very few tools like Postgres itself. I mean, it's not like we can relicense Postgres. Another tool that we use is Postgres with a T and uh, it auto generates an API on top of Postgres itself. Postgres, you are on the database. This has been around since before. Superbase is a very mature, well-adopted tool. We don't own it. We actually employ the lead maintainer um, to work on Postgres um, full-time. But, you know, we don't own it. Um, so there's a, a lot of parts of Superbase which just don't... Belong to Superbase. And that's how we like it. This is how open source should function, right? And if someone wants to go and host it, I mean, it's not like we're an individual tool. We're a suite of tools, which are just stitched together in a very nice way. We provide some very nice things that you wouldn't be able to do maybe yourself and we engineer around it. But truth be told, AWS already have Amplify, which I think if anyone wants to use it, they can try. (laughs) Google already have Firebase. Azure don't really have anything, but they don't seem to care. I mean, they're all welcome <laughs> to take Superbase, but as long as they contribute back, and if they don't, then, well, that's open source, right? And sometimes people just don't.
0: So, Paul, coming back to some of that uh, technical, the way it's structured, so we talked about how there's this one element that is the Elixir real-time part. Maybe you can give us a little bit of overview of some of the other parts, because I know... Elixir is not the only language, not everything's written in Elixir, right? There are other pieces and they're in other languages. So maybe you can, what, what's out there? If someone goes, checks out the project, what are they going to find?
3: Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of different languages. <laughs> that's part of our philosophy is we adopt the best tool for the job. And that's really sort of the core principle. We don't, we just want to make sure it's very scalable. So Postgres, the database. Postgres, the auto-generated API, that's actually a, written in Haskell. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> quite obscure. We have a storage engine written in TypeScript using Fastify. We've got our real-time server, obviously written in Elixir. We have a Postgres, like a meta API, also written in TypeScript. And then we use Kong, at an API gateway, which is actually a, a sort of a layer on top of Nginx. These are the main tools that make up the Superbase stack. And, uh, you know, if you go to our repo, you can sort of just do a Docker Compose up and you don't need to worry about what the languages are underneath them. You can just use the stack and then yeah, each tool is basically a different language. <laughs> nice for us to hire for. <laughs> it's always <laughs> tricky getting people to jump around different projects.
0: I was going to ask you about that, like your own personal comfort level, because like, like, oh, there's TypeScript over here and maybe Rust over here and you know, uh, Haskell over there and Elixir here. It's like, th- that can be overwhelming. So uh, I imagine it's open source. So you have a lot of people maybe who are contributing to different projects of personal interest. But what is that like in terms of managing that?
3: Yeah, actually, another one was, is Go. I forgot to mention, we've got a, quite a bit of Go for internal APIs. But most of the contributions come through our community libraries. You know, everything's RESTful or, or real-time APIs. And then we support ourselves officially, the JavaScript, TypeScript um, libraries. But the other libraries we've got, for example, someone doing Alexa libraries. We've got someone doing Go libraries, um, Python libraries, C Sharp, Swift, all these different libraries, which just make Superbase even easier to use. Most of this is done by the community. And we encourage that. Of course, we could fund people to to build these libraries or we could do it ourselves. But we like the community being involved. And actually, as things get adoption, we typically hire contributors. So we like that model as well. So, um, you know, the many languages um are good. Truth be told, not a huge amount of sort of day-to-day contribution to some of the servers. But you get some nice, like if the server, I'll give you a very good story for where contributions and where open source is just far superior to something proprietary. One day, someone it was like a Monday, someone came in and said, oh, can we have Azure because we want to switch from Firebase to Superbase, but we use Azure logins. We said, oh, you know, we probably won't develop that. Two days later, they put a PR request onto GoTru, the auth library, which is a fork of, of Netlify's. Two days after that, we merged it into production. And two days after that, they had switched... The whole system over to Superbase. So imagine, <laughs> imagine going to Firebase and saying, "Hey, yeah, we'd really love this brand. You know, we'd love TikTok logins <laughs> or something like that." <laughs> and then trying to get that into Firebase, maybe you'd take a month, two months for open source. That's kind of the dream, right? You can contribute it, and we'll accept it if it's good, clean code. We'll put it into production. No worries. So with
0: these other, all these different projects. Do you see an opportunity for Elixir to maybe expand and do additional things that you're not already using it for?
3: Yeah, actually, one of the things we're doing, so our real-time server is not multi-tenant right now. So we're just making a multi-tenant so it can attach to multiple databases in one go. It means that we don't have to host many Alexa servers. After we've done that, actually, one of the features we're going to do is this multiplayer functionality. As you probably know, within Phoenix itself, inside channels, you've got presence. You can know who's connected, who's online. You can pass messages between each other. So this is great. Um You know, it's sort of built into Phoenix Live View and all these things. But for those who exist outside of the Elixir ecosystem, this is kind of a hard problem. And scaling it up and getting people connected for collaborative tooling is something that's not really sort of done across all frameworks. So we'll offer that within um, our sort of real-time server. When you connect, you can also connect to a room. You can listen to all changes within that room, but also you can pass messages between Users, you can see who else is connected into that room, and we start building this collaborative tooling using this multi-tenant cluster that we're we're building out. We've got as well one other thing just to sort of seed the seed the air, build the excitement. But I can't mention it. But we've got this launch week coming up in December, first week of launch week. And there's a big part of the launch week. We do these launch weeks every three or four months, and we launch one thing every day for a week. One of the days we'll make an announcement, and it's is a big one. Um, but it's all the thing that we're announcing is completely built with Alexa. And it's all for real-time. It's a real-time system. I just can't say too much about it because it will spoil the surprise. And probably if I say much more, everyone will guess what it is.
2: <laughs> you probably need to tweet an obscure image to go along okay, with yeah, this. Yeah, build the, yeah, really build yeah. the hype. Yeah. And uh, oh, that's okay, though. Like We're, we're friends here. We're, we're friends here.
1: <laughs>
3: okay, I'll tell you what. After the call, I'll tell you guys. But all the listeners, you'll just have to come back on in December. <laughs>
0: One of the things that's interesting is you are using Elixir along with a lot of these other technologies, right? So how do you feel it has been using Elixir in in this stack? You know, has it been a good experience using Elixir? Has it been easier or harder? Or how has it compared for you guys in solving these kinds of problems?
3: Socket connections, I think undoubtedly is the sort of killer feature of Alexa, right? If you need to make sure that you're maintaining connections, if we were to build that in any other system, I think we'd end up doing a lot of engineering, sort of system engineering or you know server engineering, DevOps type stuff. So um, in that regard, it's definitely the right tool for the job once again. In terms of maybe debugging, it's harder, but only because you know we don't have a lot of competency within the team. It's hard to find Alexa engineers, right? There's nothing wrong with the Elixir stack. In fact, it's very easy to debug if you know what you're doing. But if you throw maybe a junior developer at it, if they, say, have worked with TypeScript and you want them to debug a Node.js server, it's very easy. But you throw them into a very foreign language, a very foreign system, then it's a bit harder, right? So in that regard, it's sort of got its pros and cons. I could definitely see a world where we could develop the whole stack of Superbase within you know the elixir ecosphere then we'll probably start looking like phoenix so so right and phoenix with a few um libraries
2: (laughs) yeah in that regard i've noticed though that we rarely hire people who are already experienced in elixir but the senior guys that we do hire pick up elixir so fast and within no time at all they feel like they've been coding in elixir for years and they have no problems with it so we've we've noticed the struggle with hiring experienced elixir devs but we've also felt like people really love learning it and they ramp up really quick so it sounds like in in your case that that would be good anyway
1: right you need polyglots
3: yeah exactly exactly and one very nice thing this is once again full credit to maybe Jose or everyone involved with building the community probably you know our real time server is one of the most contributed to maybe our auth server as well but we get contributions to our elixir server and we get a lot of eyeballs on it and a lot of love around it i just think the community around elixir is is a nice group of people so we hired two of our contributors people who are contributing to our real-time server we hired them just because they sort of upskilled themselves on it and um so that's been a good channel for us for hiring
2: that seems like a great model Every company would love to try out their engineers before, right? Sometimes <laughs> they send them home with these fake take home projects <laughs> that like don't really have a lot of meaning. And some one, I remember one time interviewing, I did one and I brought, I spent all this time doing this take home project and I bring it and like they don't ever bring it up. They never, we never even went over the code. I'm like, why the heck did I do this? Like, so you guys have got a really good system, right? It's like people are actually contributing. You're going through the whole PR review flow. It's like they've done good work. They've proven themselves. Let's just hire them. Like, yeah. what an awesome model to do hiring. I would love that
1: if that were if everybody could do that. But just just keep in mind that 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 is also siloing to a type of person that has time to do open source. You know, not everybody has that time or or wants to do that extra you know stuff outside of their programming jobs. Like that, if you did that exclusively, though, that does sound like a great a great system. That would uh, un- unfortunately, I think, silo out folks. We're just talking about how
2: cool it would be, like <laughs> not the realistic.
3: Yeah, actually, I mean, a lot of our engineering team now is focused on platform engineering, and it's not like you can put all your platform code out into the open. It's not like AWS would open source their cloud offering or something like that. So, you know, it's usually application engineering that we can hire for in the open source realm. Alexa engineers also generally happen to be very good platform engineers you know they usually have a good understanding of linux and and sort of low, lower level, level systems as well so that's quite quite a plus
1: i'm glad you said that i i don't think i would have put that together but i think you're right yeah
3: compared to say um, jamstack developers <laughs> yeah <you know, laughs> then uh they they do but um <laughs> Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the early days of Elixir, I remember trying to deploy my first Elixir app. I was doing a lot of Linuxy type stuff. So <laughs> I just think uh, anyone who's been around Elixir from the early days probably just by um, virtue of trying to deploy it had to learn a lot of um, sort of Linuxy or in engineering deployment platform stuff.
0: So what's next for you and your team, Superbase? You mentioned that you're having this quarterly type of release week or launch week that's coming up, but what else is going on?
3: Yeah, so really, if we painted ourselves into a corner by um, positioning ourselves as the Firebase alternative, because we need to basically launch <laughs> a lot of different products to be um, considered a viable alternative. Largely, when we started, if we wanted to just have the developer experience around Firebase, but you know, the good thing is, it gives people an idea of what is missing in our product and they ask for it. So Really what next is depends on what the community asks for. The thing that most people are jumping up and down of, uh, for is functions, super-based functions. This would be a bit foreign to people who are outside of the Jamstack world because you'll be thinking, well, that's just APIs. But um Jamstack developers like to deploy their APIs onto serverless environments so they don't have to host a server. And um this is something that we're working on building a nice system around it. It's It's kind of a solved problem. With most JAMstack frameworks, usually they've got some sort of functions, but people wanted within the Superbase ecosystem to work very nicely with the Superbase ecosystem. So we've taken our time with this because we just want to build a very nice product around it. And that's probably the main thing. Apart from that, yeah, we'll just wait and see what the crowd asks for next. We've got a lot of things that we know we could do, but um, we're a community-based project. So we'll wait and see what the feedback
1: is. I have to commend you. Uh, and, and I'm starting to see a trend here, you know, open source, lightweight alternatives to big behemoth, you know, solutions that are already out there. So Superbase, you guys are being a, a, a really good example of that right now. Another example that comes to mind is plausible you know, with uh, analytics. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's others with those. Those are the two that come to mind. There are
3: even some other firebase alternatives. A good one um is cal.com, open source um Calendly.
1: Are they elixir based?
3: Oh no, they're Okay. Nothing. I see. We're only shouting out to elixir-based <laughs>
1: <laughs> open source. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't care about the yeah, rest okay, of them. Okay,
3: okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, any others, but I'll be sure to send you some. If <laughs>
1: <laughs> Though I, I am happy for them too. Uh, but yes, I know that I know that plausible is does have some some elixir going on. Uh, but they're another polyglot uh, company, right? They naturally have to do a lot with uh, JavaScript as well. But Really, that's what I want to commend you guys on is uh, not because you're Elixir-based, though. I am happy for that. Uh, but for going up against when the challenger seems so so large and and you know uh, impossible to get a, a full hold into. And it seems like you guys are doing that. So uh, congratulations on that. And uh, I am very excited about Launch Week. I can't wait to see what you guys are coming up with.
3: Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much.
2: So I keep seeing something about ex-founders. What does that mean to you guys? What is this?
3: So our team right now is about... Just less than 30 people, will be around 30 people soon. And about a third of our team are sort of founders. They have started their own companies. We convince a lot of people to um, stop working on their own companies to come work for us. <laughs> you know, so open source contributors and, and ex-founders, these are the profiles that we really like. The reason why is because, you know, we're an open source tool and we try to operate very much like an open source ecosystem, even internally. Everything's done asynchronously we try to send everything around GitHub, a little bit of Slack and Notion. But that means that it's very flat and everyone's very much self-managing. And who better to self-manage than people who have managed their own companies, know how to grow with the company, know how to put priorities, um, prioritize different things and when to ship. If they're not perfectionists, they usually want to ship early. So they just fit our sort of way of doing things. This is the profile that we found fit the best. So we actually hire it as one of the roles that we have on our careers page, ex-founders. And if you've got ex-founding experience, we just have a strong bias towards hiring these these people.
0: Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with us. I think what you're doing is fascinating, not only because you're taking a large project, a large goal, but you're saying, you know, we're going to take all the different things that we think are the best tools to implement them. And you're doing it as open source, providing us a hosted option, which I think is awesome. And I, just, I love seeing that, you know, we talk about Elixir being successful in the, in the space, companies that are being successful with Elixir. And I think this is just an awesome example of how Elixir can, you can leverage some of the things, the powers that it has that it brings with WebSockets, with Phoenix and everything, and kind of bringing it to other communities in a way and letting them leverage that while still staying with what they're comfortable with. So I just think that's that's really cool.
3: Thank you very much. And yeah, well, thanks for all the kind words in this one. Um, And yeah, if uh, anyone's listening, wants to come in and contribute and, maybe put their foot forward for a job, then <laughs> you're welcome to. But uh, even if you just want to use it and give some feedback, we'd love that. And in the future, we hope to do a lot more Elixir stuff. So we'd love to jump on the podcast again if you if you ever want me to.
0: Awesome. Well, so if people do want to get in touch with you or follow you online, where should they go to do that?
3: Yeah, so the company, um, superbase.com very soon, um, or superbase.io. And on Twitter, we're just at superbase. On GitHub, we're superbase. And it's super, by the way, S U P A B A S E, not (laughs) like the Nicki Minaj song, (laughs) if you know it. But uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, once again, S U P A, not S U P E R.
0: Right. And we will have links to all that in the show notes. So definitely check that out. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.